found on page 1017 in the Black Bibles. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 1 still. Uh, we are in verses 46 to 56. So you've probably noticed this, unless you uh, live under a rock, that uh, Christmas has its own music. Like, and I, like, have you ever pondered that Christmas is really the only holiday? I mean, you might argue for Easter, but Christmas is the only holiday, secular or sacred, that that really has its own music. I mean, we don't spend a month leading up to the 4th of July singing patriotic songs, you know, just getting in the mood for the 4th of July. We don't, you don't find radio stations dedicating the entire month of October to commercial-free Halloween songs. We don't, we don't see that very often. Or even for that matter, you don't, I can't think of any Thanksgiving songs that we just, we sing every November. Um, you might, there might be some uh, Thanksgiving sort of hymns that we might know, but those don't come back year after year. Nobody sings them over and over and we don't get to a point where half of the household is cringing and saying, just turn it off, which happens in our household. Because I will confess, I love Christmas music. It is hard for me to wait for Thanksgiving weekend. I have, I have playlists of instrumental Christmas music. I have playlists of old and old favorites Christmas music and and Christian Christmas music which sounds ironic but obviously we all know there are there's a lot of not Christian Christmas music but it's still delightful to sing and to hear and 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 there are times that we'll be in the car and and the problem with like the whole hands-free thing is that like like you can't just turn on a radio station now and listen to the whole thing now now someone in the car can hit next as soon as the intro starts and I've had to almost pull the car over and remind the navigator that we do not skip the Oak Ridge Boys or Alabama ever. So, but it's not just today that Christmas time has uh, a music all its own. Uh, interestingly, the birth of Christ is preceded by a lot of songs. And Luke, Luke seems to have a, the same attitude as I do toward Christmas songs. He has all of them recorded in the first two chapters of his gospel account. There are at least four songs leading up to or surrounding the birth of Christ. And that's four if you don't consider the announcements of Gabriel to be musical or poetry, or the prophecy of Hannah. And so there could be as many as seven songs uh, that surround the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, a few years ago, uh, 
our Advent series was just looking at the four songs recorded in the book of Luke. And one of those is the song that we have today, the song that we know as the Magnificat, which is just the Latin word for the first word of that song in the Latin translation of Scripture. And so today we will read and, uh, and worship through uh, the song that Mary penned. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and then returned to her home. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So as with so many other things that surround or that fill the story of Christ's coming, uh, this, this song is not without its controversies. There are many modern scholars who look at this song and question uh, the reliability of saying that this song was written by Mary. They question perhaps whether it's even possible that a a teenage peasant girl uh, could write a song like this. And so just to put our minds at ease and to remind us that it's, it's more than just possible, it's it's pretty regular. Uh, it's, a, it's a normal occurrence. So the song Royals. Everyone remember, some of you girls, any of you kids, anyone remember Royals? Uh, written by the girl known as Lord, with an E. I guess that makes it less weird. Uh, do you know when she wrote that song? She was 15 years old, and it took her 30 minutes after seeing a Kansas City Royals player picture with Royals on his jersey, and it inspired her to write that song. 30 minutes, 15 years old. But that's not an anomaly. Teardrops on My Guitar, written by Taylor Swift her freshman year of high school, about a boy she had a crush on who didn't know who she was. I'll bet he knows who she is now. And then she wrote Sparks Fly when she was 16. Mary is not alone 
a teenage girl able to put pen to paper and write a song that we all recognize. Maybe it's not as toe-tapping as Royals, but it's, uh, it's lasted a little longer than Royals probably will. Mary's also not the only woman in Scripture to write a song that actually is saved for us in Scripture, write a song inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Miriam, Aaron and Moses' sister, wrote a song after the Exodus, after the crossing of the Red Sea. She wrote a song uh, celebrating the deliverance that God had brought about for his people from slavery. Deborah, one of the judges, one of the early judges in the book of Judges, she wrote a song celebrating the victory that God had won against his people's enemies, against their oppressors. It's recorded in Judges 5. Hannah wrote a song celebrating the deliverance that she had received, deliverance from shame and ridicule uh, over her barrenness. Uh, we, we used that song specifically as our responsive reading today. And they, they look very similar. Like if you, were to, if you take our responsive reading and hold it up side by side with the song that Mary wrote, there's a lot of sil- similarities in them. But whereas Hannah's song is really a shout of triumph in the face of her uh, enemies. Mary's song is more of a a humble contemplation on God's mercies and God's keeping his promises. There's a lot we could look at in this short psalm, but the three things that I want us to notice about Mary's song today are that, uh, first of all, Mary's song is biblical, uh, Mary's song is humble, And Mary's song is theocentric, which, kids, that's just an adult, I want to be fancy, so I use big words, way of saying focused on God. So her song is very focused on God. But first, Mary's song is biblical, to which you might respond, uh, yeah, it's in the Bible, so pretty sure it's really biblical. But I mean by that, that remember, Mary is a teenage peasant girl from a no-name town. Like Mary, and yet this song that she's writing, it's, you know, remember the context. She has been told that she is going to conceive and give birth to a child. So right now, Mary is pregnant. And she's pregnant with the Messiah, the Son of God, And she's pregnant out of wedlock, but also pregnant as a virgin. Uh, As a teenage girl, these aren't the kinds of things she giggled about with her friends. These aren't the things she wrote and dreamed about in her diary. Uh, Mary is not a, a sinless all-knowing, uncreated being who has an odd glow that comes off of her head when she puts her headbands on. Mary is a, a human being with human 
fears and human sin and human failings and human faith. And when it came to singing a song about God and what God was doing through her and what God was doing in her and for her, her song is completely biblical. The words of her song are biblical. They come from other portions of Scripture. Mary recalls the promises that God made to Abraham, the covenantal promises that God made to Abraham. Through your seed, the world will be blessed. And it's not just Hannah's song that Mary's song sounds like. If you have a Bible app or your Bible includes little letters with cross-references, you'll notice how much of her song can be cross-referenced into the Old Testament. Just a few examples of that. We'll just go through. You keep, you read the passage in front of you, Mary's song, and I'll read from other passages in Scripture. So you look at verse 46, and then hear Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Or Psalm 69, 30. I will praise the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Or Psalm 35, 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. Now look at verse 47. In Habakkuk 3.18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Look at verse 48 and hear 1 Samuel 1.11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. Or Genesis 29.32, She called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. And then look at verse 49, and hear Deuteronomy 10, 21. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you all these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Or hear Psalm 24, 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Or Psalm 111, verse 9. Holy and awesome is his name. Or look at verse 50 and hear Psalm 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love of the Lord toward those who fear him. Or verse 17 of that same psalm. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Or look at verse 53 and hear Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Or Psalm 146, verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Or verse 54. And here, Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
or Psalm 98.3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Look at verse 55. and Remember Genesis 12.7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. A promise he repeated in Genesis 17. Verses 7 and 8, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And again in Genesis 22, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Or in Micah 7.20, You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you swore to our fathers from the days of old. Mary writes a song praising God that is full of God's words. Because Mary was full of God's words. Mary, it was as if you could cut Mary and God's word would pour out. She had God's word on her mind. She had God's word in her heart. When there were things going on that were too marvelous and too wonderful for her to understand, it was God's word that would comfort her. It was God's promises that would uphold her and give her strength and give her perseverance. Do you know God's word? Do you, do you receive the word of God as the comfort it's intended to be for you? Like when you are anxious or fearful or worried, when you are afraid, when you are doubting, when you are hurting, when you're discouraged, does God's word come up just unbidden even, just suddenly you're, you're reminded of God's promises and God's presence and God's desire to care for you. Or when a friend is feeling those things, do you naturally offer counsel from God's word? Is your, is your counsel, does it just sound like biblical wisdom? Or does it sound like sort of worldly uh, I don't know, inspirational posters and precious moments quotes. Mary's song is biblical because she was steeped in God's word. I pray for all of us that we would be a people who just, God's word just naturally flows out because we delight in God's word. We see it as the psalmist says, it's, it's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold, perfect, refined gold. In this, we receive the words of life. 
Mary's song is biblical. But Mary's song is also humble. The first hint is that she calls her own position humble. God has looked on my humble estate. But even before that, in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my what? What is it? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In God, my Savior. Mary recognizes that Mary needs to be saved. You only need a Savior when there is something you are up against that you don't have the power within yourself to handle. You need someone else to come and save you. Mary's whole song is a celebration of that. It's, it, she's not overstating her need for salvation and that God has answered that need. I kind of joke around with Amy uh, at home whenever there's a, a creature with more than four legs that needs to be disposed of. Uh, I will, you know, sometimes I have to get up on a ladder or on a chair because some of our ceilings are too high. Or, but any time that I dispose of the creature properly, now there are stories of when I have not disposed of it properly, and she remembers those more vividly than the others. But when I do it properly, I always get down, and I, I throw or flush, whatever I do, and I turn and I look at Amy and I say, well, And she's like, well, what? I was like, she goes, oh, my hero. <laughs> so, like, obviously, that's a, that's a little overkill, but, you know, I've saved her life. You know, in younger days, I would have wanted her to jump into my arms. Now my back is happy that she just rolls her eyes and says, my hero. Uh, and that's not a statement of her. That's a statement about me and my age. Please, please understand that. Anyway, Mary celebrates the salvation she has from God, not in an eye-rolling, I didn't actually need this God, I had been fine all along. She celebrates that God is about the work of saving her. If we were to put Mary's song into a genre or a category of biblical songs or psalms, uh, this is a song, is specifically, this is called a song of thanksgiving of an individual in need. So songs of thanksgiving is one category, and it's thanking God for something he has done. Now, there's, but there's two categories of that in the Bible. There's one that's a song of thanksgiving of a people group. So like Miriam's song is a song of thanksgiving of what God has done for the people of Israel. But when you read Mary's song, it's a song of thanksgiving for something he's done for an individual, specifically for Mary. Mary is singing this song in a very personal way. That doesn't mean that it's not for us to then use and rejoice in and also uh, memorize and sing this same song as well. 
But we don't want to miss the fact that Mary recognizes that this salvation that's coming to earth is specifically for her as well. She needed and has received salvation from God. Mary acknowledges her need for God's mercy. That God exalts those who are of humble estate while he brings down the proud of heart and the mighty. God feeds the hungry when he sends away the rich. God helps his servant Israel not because they were mighty, but because they were not. Not because they were wealthy, but because they were empty. Mary recognizes that God's deliverance is for those in need. And it has nothing to do with deserving. It has to do with needing. Mary needs the salvation of God. And she rejoices that that salvation has come in the person of Jesus. Even as Jesus himself would say, it's not the sick who need healing. It's, or excuse me, it's the sick who need healing, not the healthy. Christ came for those in need. Christmas ought to be, first and foremost, about humility, about need, about recognizing I don't deserve any of the good things that Christmas brings about or celebrates. So if each of these has a question, like I'd say the question here is, for, at Christmas time, are you looking for your deliverer? Or are you just looking for your delivery man? Mary's song is biblical. Mary's song is humble. And finally, Mary's song is, is theocentric or God-centered. This song, the Magnificat, is entirely about magnifying the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, there are two ways to magnify something. Uh, you can magnify something with a microscope. And when you magnify something with a microscope, you're taking something insignificant and making it bigger than it actually is so you can appreciate things about it. Um, so when I was young, I had a magazine that would come uh, every uh, every month about science and different things. And in the back of the magazine, there were always these pictures of things that were magnified. And it was always fascinating to see like what things look like at 1,000 and 10,000 times, like to see the detail of it. So like, go home and Google dust mite. Like magnification of dust mite. They are terrifying. They are one of the most terrifying-looking bugs you will ever see, especially when they're magnified. And then I would recommend not then researching, where do you find dust mites? So, but that's, you magnify because it's this insignificant thing, but you want to see some details about it. That's one way of magnifying. Another way of magnifying is taking something that is so significant and apart from you that you need a telescope to magnify it. 
And it is this, that's the magnifying of planets and stars and nebula and, and moons. And, and you magnify them because you want to see the glory of them even as they're too separated from you to take in by yourself without this magnification. When you magnify in this way, you can focus on some parts even if you ignore the other parts. Even as you recognize those other parts exist, magnifying allows you to focus in. This is the magnification. This is how we magnify the Lord. We're not taking some insignificant, ethereal, spiritual idea that just sort of makes you feel good about yourself and then make it bigger than it actually is. No, what we're doing is we are, when we magnify the Lord, you are taking one who is so other than you, so far off from you, and bringing close so that you can focus on some aspect, some attribute, something about God that you just, you're overwhelmed with. This is the magnifying of this song of Mary's. She focuses in on God. Notice how almost all of the action after the introduction is God's action. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble. He who is mighty has done great things. He is holy. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel. He has remembered his mercy. He spoke to Abraham and to our forefathers and is keeping his promise. This song is all about the action of God and celebrating what God has done. Mary says, I magnify God's might in verse 49. God is mighty. He is powerful enough to overcome even the laws of nature that would prevent a virgin from being pregnant. He is powerful enough even to overcome the laws of sin that we have set in place. But he's not only mighty, he's also holy in verse 49. Because God is holy, he uses his strength against the proud. Not only the outwardly proud, but the proud in heart in verse 51. The thing is, if God were only mighty and holy, we would be in a world of hurt. We would be in trouble if God were only mighty and holy. The point of Christmas, the point of Advent... The point of this song is that God is mighty and God is holy and God is merciful. The coming of Christ reminds us that God uses his might and his holiness to show mercy to sinners like you and me. He lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And so I guess if we're going to ask a question at the end of this portion, I would say, what will your spirit rejoice in this Christmas? She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What are you, how are you helping your children find joy this Christmas? What are you pointing them to, to as the source of joy for this Christmas? 
And I know that, that as pastors, you know, we end up coming across during this season as a bunch of Scrooges, and we don't want you to have any fun, and return all the toys, and turn off the lights, and it's not about all that. You're ruining Christmas, and blah, 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 humbug. I don't want you to stop buying gifts for each other or for your children. I don't want you to stop enjoying the, the beauty of fellowship that happens a little bit more at Christmas time than it does at other seasons. I don't want you to stop having friends or family over. I don't want you to stop enjoying your holiday traditions. I don't want less this Christmas for you. I just want, I want more for you. I want you to magnify the Lord and exalt his name. I want you to rejoice in God, your Savior. I want the Magnificat to be our song this year. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Oh, God, make this true for us. Burn this song into our hearts so that our souls would magnify you, that our spirits would rejoice in our Savior, that we would see that you have used your might and your holiness to accomplish your merciful salvation a salvation that you promised long ago, even to Abraham, even to Adam and Eve in the garden, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. We praise you and thank you, Jesus, our Savior. We magnify your name. Amen.